This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Welcome, one and all, to Knife Talk, the podcast for anybody interested in knives, whether you're a maker, hobbyist, whatever it may be. Now, look, before we go any further, I think it wouldn't be right if we didn't acknowledge the passing of the Queen, or Liz, as I like to call her. It's been a weird day. Um, I've been feeling quite sad about a passing. I'm, I'm not a, well, I wouldn't say I'm a royalist, uh, but I'm, I'm definitely not an anti-royal either. But no matter what you think, uh, you know, she had class, a dignity, and just commanded respect. So it's been weird. The radio's been playing like really solemn songs all day, and there's this definite sort of heavy feeling everywhere. It's quite strange. And I think a, a lot of, sort of my sadness is because it feels like the end of something more than just a Queen's era. I mean, like, for the UK, they've got a new government this week. There's obviously the new monarch. Um, and it seems like the world's changing really fast. It seems like the, almost the end of decency and the beginning of a far less sort of tolerant society. So, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's been a worrying day, a weird one. And I'm also sad because the Queen's passing. I think of my, my grandparents passing, and they were, they were obviously a huge part of my life. And they would have been really upset about her death. And I think a lot of the older generation really are. So it's this really weird feeling. And, that, you know, having these sort of sad thoughts for somebody you don't really know, uh, but it's been a constant part of your life is really strange. So, yeah, it's very strange. So I, I know a lot of you will say, you know, keep your beliefs to yourself and this is a knife podcast. But, you know, this is my podcast. And if you're offended or don't want to talk about your own beliefs, get your own bloody podcast. <laughs> Okay, but wait a second. Back to it's, dick jokes. But Anybody got anything but for us? But, but you're you're not. But your feelings are true. I mean, if you think about it, no one's run. No one's been the monarch of a country for ninety something years, or whatever. I so, mean, yeah, well, seven, 50, seventy years. Seven years. Yes, yeah. But, I mean, it yes, is yeah. incredible. I mean, I was reading about how all the presidents that she's met, and yeah, and yeah. I actually before we did that, before we came on, I saw that Prince Charles had or King Charles, King Charles King the Third spoke. Yeah. He figured it out. He sounded he sounded pretty uh, busted up about Mama. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, it's. That's got to be. It's, it's one of those speeches that's going to go down in history. Right. You know, all, all all the kings and queens' speeches, their first speeches do. Um, but yeah, I think it's more than that. As I said, the, the whole new government as well, who are far less tolerant than previous governments, and we've always had this this sort of older lady, you know, what keeping an eye on things almost, you know. And her passing at the same time, I it just I don't know. I just think well, everybody's going into a bad bad winter anyway. Mm. Um, right. You, you know the. the it's it's not so bad here in France, but in the UK, things like you know the energy crisis, it's 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 fucking terrible. And I just think, yeah, we're going to be we got a far less tolerant leaders, and it's yeah, it's quite scary, and it's it's just been a real sort of downer all day, you know. And it's 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 a very strange, and I think as I say, a lot of it is due to you know the radio we've had on, and they're just playing you know sort of sad songs all day, and it definitely feels like like a mass mourning. It really does. How would this compare to when Princess Diana died for you? She when, was the Princess of Wales, right? Yeah. So I was sort of 18, 19 when she died. I remember because I was at a party at the time, at a house party, and it came over the news. And um, every stop what we were doing, put the TV on, and it was just like, whoa, whoa. Um, and, you know, I, I was a different part of my life. I was 18, 19, and I was just like, oh, we've got a day off, day off work. This is great, you know? Um, yeah, it didn't really 
affect me so much. But you know, you could see it on the TV. The TV for you know for two weeks, that's all that was on the TV, reporting on every single thing. And you know that was the mid '90s, and times are very different now, where we have you know 24-hour news channels and all the rest of it. So yeah, I mean for me. This, the, yeah, it is. It is sad. It's 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 really sad. More than I thought it would make me. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's been an opportunity for me to put my picture back up online of me with the Queen. So. I know. You know, you know so <laughs> any opportunity, I tell you. That picture is so great, and I was so tempted to to write on your caption. Ah, oh, how dare you make the Queen pull your finger? Because that's what yeah. it looks like, you know. And I've like, done that joke in the past, yeah. So but yeah, I'm just yeah. like, I don't think it's a very good idea. Actually, you know, speaking of, the, of Princess Diana, I remember we were my wife and I had, had, were in our first apartment and on 14th Street, and we rem- I remember mm. when they announced it. It was like in the middle of the night for us, um, yeah. and I remember maybe a week later, we a friend of ours had, was at an open mic. Uh, and we went to go see him and, and all the people were there to see my, our friend. And then the next guy came up and he was just started bombing and he went mm. right into like lady Diana jokes, like, Oof. like Oof. bad Oof. ones. And everyone was like, Whoa. And he was just like, mm. he sunk his deal heels in and he just started just beating the shit out of her. And all I could think of is God, this seems so inappropriate. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I remember that very, like, I was like, Whoa, this woman just died. You're gonna just like yeah. lay, let her loose, and yeah. it's sad. Man. And you know, without without meaning to sort of offend anybody, I think you know, like Americans out there, I think Diana Dine was almost like our 9/11. That we was it was this mass grief, right. you know, for the, for the whole country. Um, and yeah, and it just seems even more so now. I think because um, you know, this was the head the head of state. This was you know, it's a big thing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's affected me more than I thought it would do. Um, and I'm sure we're going to have a week of it now, um, before the funeral and all the rest of it. But can Um, we just say that she, I mean, 96 is about as good a, I mean, as a good amount as possible. I mean, for God's sakes, it's not like, I mean, how far (laughs) do you want to go? I mean, yeah, I I know. And, and, you know, and work as much as, you know, but there's going to be people out there who, who who are screaming at their, whatever they listen to the podcast on now saying, you know, these privileged people and the rest of it. I tell you what, if you put the hours in that she she would have, even in her 90s, you must be working harder than even Jeff because, honestly, they they work, 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 work. I have no um, interest for, in getting to 96. Zero. <laughs> Zero. And especially not working at 96. I don't want yeah. to do shit. Yeah. I don't want to be toes up at 96. I mean, if I'm not yeah. toes up by, like, 92, it's going to be like I'm going to be twiddling my fingers. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think glaucoma can kill you, Jeff. I think you'd be okay. Don't talk about glaucoma. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> anyway, we are. We haven't even given a proper introduction. This is me, Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives. I'm here with Jeff Fader of Fader Knives and Mareko Marmasi of Marmasi Fire Arts. Okay. And Let's just, start the show properly, just to finish, we? Just to finish introducing uh, this yes. show, this is Knife Talk. The number one knife-related podcast on this German-fested planet, episode 250. 250. Wow. You Who'd know? have thought, eh? This is our wow. Diamond Jubilee or something hmm. like that, right? Or is that inappropriate? <laughs> um, well, I think 250 is a bit more than the Diamond Jubilee. Okay. Yeah, but, uh, but no, it's all good. 250 episodes. Wow. wow. And I, I was thinking earlier how, how much the show has evolved over that time, you know? And yeah, wow. Crazy. And we've had some ni- five years almost? Yep. Um, yeah, I think maybe a bit longer, maybe. Um, 
we've had some lovely reviews this week as well, um, which is always nice. So, you know, if you enjoy the show, please give us a review on whatever platform you listen to. Uh, it does help. And it's also nice for us to get some feedback as well. It, you know, oh. a nice pat on the back. and then yeah, Pat on nice. the back. Pat on the back is good. Yeah. Five stars, pat on the back. I do, yeah. I can't ever help think of the time we did, like, we were doing those mini apps. Let's break the fourth <laughs> wall down. A couple of years ago, we did some mini episodes, and we just yeah. like peppered them, and Craig peppered them in through the week. And the funniest part was, I think we did them all in one. We, we did an episode, we would record an episode, and then we would record all five, like, shorties. Yeah. And yeah. I, I wish we kind of put them all together into one, because it was just like, all right, let's we get another one. Let's get another we one should've. in. Yeah, but we were getting pressure from people to say, well, we love the show, why don't you do more than one a week? It's like, well, Huge we can't, it's, 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 it's a big thing. So the idea was, let's just record five questions, answers to five questions, put a, a question out a day, but fuck, it didn't I work. Think, no. I think there was one episode where we were like, you asked the question, we said no, and then ended the fucking <laughs> <it>? show. <laughs> I think there was a couple of them, which I was yeah. so happy about. Somebody's like, oh, good knife talk. da 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 what do you do about this? Nothing. And <laughs> show's over. <laughs> this show was sponsored yeah. by. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a good one. Oh, yeah. No, we've had some we've had some amazing times. We've had yeah, a lot of real belly laughs and learned shitloads as well. So right. it's it's been good. It's been good. Shall we get on with things? I tell you what, before we do, from this sponsor is with us from day one on episode one, 250 episodes ago. Knife Talk is sponsored by Even Heat, the manufacturers of the finest heat treat ovens available. To find your next oven, go to evenheat-kiln.com. And you know what? You don't even need to do that. If you go to knifetalk.net forward slash heat, that will take you to Soul Ceramics, who are a distributor of Even Heat. They've got some in stock already built, ready to go. You'll get $75 off the list price and you'll get free shopping, uh, shipping in the U.S. Go take a look. Knifetalk.net forward slash heat, and that link is down in the description. Okay, shall we do some questions, do you think? Whatever you want. Or how is your week, or whatever you want. Well, I mean... Let's let, go let, questions. Let's, Who cares? Yeah, nobody gives a shit about our week. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Um, Kyle Furman, I'm a new listener. What took you so long, Kyle? 215, this is your first question. Come on. <laughs> Forgive me if you've answered this already. We probably have at some point. Uh, is it better to focus on one style of knife and refine it over and over in the search of perfection, or is it better to explore lots of styles and designs so you have a wide range of skills and experience to draw from? Cheers. And that was Kyle Furman. The way he asked that question is by Instagram. He DM'd us at Knife Talk Podcast. Um, so what do you guys think? Um, focus on one style of knife and really master that or, you know, lots of styles and, you know, learn a lot of skills along the way. What do you think, Mareko? I mean, I think if you're first starting out, there's nothing wrong with doing a little experimentation across various styles. But I think if you really want to take it seriously, it, you, you want to narrow that down um, to a specific genre. Um, but I don't know. I th I think it's, I, I do th like, say you want to do culinary knives. Um, you know, you can play around with doing various styles and various blade shapes and stuff. But, um, I, I do think it is important if you're really going to try to go far and really, you know, set your work apart and, and make some of the best stuff that's out there. You really, you got to take that time to focus in on refining, uh, that, that, tool and learning about that tool 
um, not just from a crafting perspective, but also from a use side too. I've mentioned this before, um, but I think part of the reason um, my my knives perform as well as they do is because they are informed by my experience in working in restaurants and cooking at home, hours and hours of time on task. Um, while I'm sure I could make a pretty decent or, or even good, you know, hunting knife. Ooh. Um, I could never weird, stand behind. So weird. You're so weird, Craig. It's <laughs> a, a weird ooh. It's a weird ooh. <laughs> It was trying to be a somber ooh, that was. Oh, okay, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. An ooh's an ooh. Yeah, that was a weird one. <laughs> Go ahead, Rick. Pardon me. I, I could probably make a decent hunting knife, but I could never stand behind that and say, this is the best hunting knife you might ever use because I've never actually taken a hunting knife out into the field and used it for hunting, for skinning, for gutting an animal, for breaking it down, any of that stuff, where I can stand behind my culinary knives and say, very confidently say, this might be one of the best knives you ever use in your life. And so, but that comes from time uh, on mm. task and experimentation and continuous uh, push, continuously pushing um, what I think I know and understand about my knives. I'm still experimenting with the way I make my knives uh, and the way I grind them and how far I push the edge geometry and so on and so forth and heat treat and the materials even that I'm using. All of that stuff plays a role mm. in how far and how how far I take it, and and how good that thing is, and that also then turns around and reflects in my ability to actually sell that thing. Yeah, I was going to say, I think marketing wise as well. If you've got like a, a range of knives which are you know to suit everybody, it's hard to market to everybody. It's easier to market to a, a niche or a niche, as you wrongly call it. Um, yeah, it's. Yeah, there's there's lots to consider there, but yeah, as as Marekko said, you know, yeah, you you can you, you can master your craft, but also yeah, when it comes to finding your customer, if you've got a specific specific customer, it's easier to sort of reach them as opposed to hey, I sell knives, everybody come and buy a knife from me. But he's saying, is it better to focus on one style as opposed to jumping around? And I guess I read it, and I'm probably wrong, but maybe you know what, we're not going to say the same thing every time. I just got back from the Center for Metal Arts and had a long conversation with uh, Pat Quinn and John Williams, who just did this tong-making class, both decorated blacksmiths. And we were talking about the, the difference between... I mean, Pat identifies as a craftsman. And it was interesting because of the, you know, he does a lot of, lot of focus. <laughs> Is that like a new sexuality? Like, I identify no, just, as go, a just, craftsman. You know what? I like it better somber. <laughs> somber Craig. <laughs> Bring me back to your somber Craig. Somber Craig, he's going to pipe down when I'm telling him about the story, okay? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yes. No, the answer is no. He identi- but no, but I mean, some people say they're a maker. Some people say they're, they're this. Some people, they say that. He, when I said, I, he said, I'm a craftsman. And it was interesting because... He focus, they focus on this tong style, and they're constantly refining it and refining it and refining it. And their mot, really their idea, their idea in terms of how they work is to kind of like figure one thing out and master it. That's one of the reasons why I don't really, when I teach the classes I teach, I don't teach a million classes. I kind of do two. And then I really try to keep going and going because I'm always learning on those two particular classes and just just keep you know focusing and I, I i honestly believe that that's the idea of what the shokunin is if you watch once again jiro dreams of sushi it's not a guy who just like i feel creative today let's make whatever the hell we want it's like focusing on dialing it in 
I couldn't get where I'm at now if I wasn't like, if I hadn't dialed in all the different steps. And then you can make the adjustments. But I'm saying the same thing you guys said. Hmm. Yeah, so Kyle, to answer the, the first question is, yeah, we've Just already answered this already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good one. I like, I like Jokey Craig's good, too. Jokey Craig and these two personalities you have, Somber Craig and Jokey Craig, I'm digging both of them. Both, both totally inappropriate, which I appreciate. Yeah, inappropriate. Well, and I will say yeah. that as much experience and as much time as I've spent on culinary knives, uh, I feel like now that I feel like I've very solidly established myself as a as a as a well-respected culinary knife maker, I I am more interested personally. Uh, I think more from my own personal experience and understanding and knowledge to do some more exploration in making a different style of knives like folding knives or hunting knives or you know getting getting out and going hunting with somebody who understands how these tools are used um uh at the highest levels of performance and efficiency um so that I, it just it, it informs my decisions in ultimately my culinary knife making but if i do then turn around and go to make a col or a hunting knife or something like that I have a little bit more experience and understanding behind that kind of thing. But are you planning on going on a hunting trip? Uh I'm hoping to in the next couple of years, yeah. Oh, okay. Hoping to. I thought maybe you were gonna say you're you're gonna go on some sort of wild elk. His hunt. his buddy Joe was called. No, no. And said that they're going out looking for deer. Look at yeah. you look at you, Craig. Two hundred and fifty episodes. You are on fire today. <laughs> I'm 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 loving it. Listen to you. <laughs> Uh, Jeff, do you want to take the next one? Nolly Knife Co. says, here's a question for the show. Hey, cuties. I'm sure this has been asked before, but uh, refreshers are always good. I'm currently a stock removal guy due to the shop location and the neighbors, but I'd like to buy a coffee cup holder, I mean an anvil, to eventually <laughs> get into smithing and to use uh, now whenever I need a solid surface that won't wiggle or break. I'm doing my research, but I'd love to hear what you think are important points to look for for used anvils such as weight, layout, condition, price, etc. What am I what I'm seeing is usually about five to seven dollars a pound. You go to Craig. Craig's got I mean he's <laughs> lousy tripping with the anvils. Tripping them over over them here, yeah. I mean he's using yeah. them as pavers. <laughs> yeah. Paving the road but cup holders. Cup holders is pretty much what they're being used for at the moment. Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there must be plenty of people out there looking for used anvils, which is why they hold such a value. Um, but, I mean, I would know nothing about weight layout conditions. So, Mareko, what do you think? I mean, I think uh, for for me to feel comfortable forging on an anvil, it does definitely I, – I, it needs a little bit of weight behind it. But I think even a smaller, like, 120-pound anvil is plenty to get things done. I actually have um, some, like, large mild steel uh, – blocks that i got from a machinist that were just drops like he had a he had some project and and these were just the leftover but they're the the things are like three and a half inches thick uh one of them is about 14 inches wide by about 16 inches tall and that's a substantial surface even if we turn it on edge i mean basically it's a swedge block um and for starters that's not actually a bad way to go and usually you can find either at a scrapyard or at your a, a local uh, either fabrication or machine shop, they might have drops like that. I mean, even a stake anvil um, isn't a horrible place to start. And that stake anvil is just a tiny little surface that basically acts as a bottom die, uh, mm -hmm. and your hammer hand or your hammer in your hand acts as a top die of 
of basically a very rudimentary or crude power hammer driven by you and your arm strength. Um, but I think those are really a lot of people want to jump into spending a lot of money on anvils and actually there's there's pretty inexpensive ways to go i would not go to harbor freight though and get one of the cast anvils because oh, those things are God soft as fucking butter hmm. and um and you know even your hot steel will probably put indentations <laughs> in the surface of that thing so um yeah that's that's what i got the, the anvil thing once again is tricky and it, and it's tricky because the people who are selling it just see dollar signs people oh, who are sure. selling them are usually usually not people who actually use them so some of the things you should look for crisp you're never going to find good clean corners that's just just forget it you're going to have ones with some people i've seen ones where people use their tor- use it as a torch table and they're like the, there's acetylene torch cuts <laughs> all over the place and the other thing is excessive pitting is a problem because if you know any surface you have, if the face is, has excessive uh, pitting, then wherever you hit your steel into that uh, pitting, you're going to embed that that texture into whatever you're hitting. That's the, the biggest. Mold, yeah. That's yeah. what. Yeah, you're basically your your anvils are going to mold. So be aware of that. Um, in the United States, usually, generally speaking, on the East Coast you're going to find around 150-pound anvils because that's what the farmers used to use to schlub around to do their horses and uh, fix their plowshares and all that. Um, I, 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 part of me feels like if you just kind of put it out in the, in the world, something ar- arrives. Like every anvil I've had has just kind of arrived. Like it's just, just it presents itself. It seems like a good idea. You're gonna. You're at the mercy of what people are doing. One thing you have in your in your back pocket is if you have taken. I would my first thing before you buy any anything any of this stuff is take a class, because then you'll see what you know. If you go to the Center for Metal Arts, you go to the New England School of Metalwork, you go to these other shops, you're gonna be able to use their anvils, and you're gonna see what you like. You might, you know, be able to get away with a small, tiny anvil. You can get away with, like Mareko said, you can get a, a chunk of steel out of scrapyard, or like, a, like if you go to like a, I know my guy up in uh, where I buy steel for railings and stuff. He has a offcut, you know, area, and you just take whatever you want. That's where I got my uh, aluminum plates for quenching. That's where I got, you know, blocks and stuff. Keep your eyes open, and then if you know what you need, you can also go back to the guy and say, look, your prices are high. I mean, look at this. I can't do anything with this. I can't do anything with this. I've done that a few times, and then all of a sudden when you start to kind of show you, show that you know a little bit, you can't use it, then if you can't use it, other people can't use it, and then, you know, you're out. But just do me a favor and don't do that bullshit where you, you know, you... You take it, put it on your your lathe and or your your whatever your grinder and grind the you know the half inch off the top of your face plate. That's some Yikes. that's some bullshit. Don't, don't don't do that. Don't get involved with that. I'm just looking at our friends Maritime Knife Supply and they have some Atlas tool knife and tool anvils. There you go. They're they got the hornless as well as the horn anvils and they're smaller. They're like sixty five to seventy eight pounds. Um, but they're slick little anvils, and they're about five hundred bucks. But they are brand new uh, anvils, especially the uh, the there's they have one that has like more of a German pattern, with a shelf and a horn. But it also has a swedge block on the on the on one of the edges, for creating forms like rounds and square stock. Um, not that that's necessarily something you would need too much for blades, but I've actually been eyeballing these little anvils because they are handy little. They look like 
great handy little tools to to be able to swing around because right now every once in a while i take my anvil somewhere to do <laughs> do a demonstration and 220 pounds is not a lot of oh, fun to swing around it. So, it. so a little a little a quote-unquote little 68 to 78 pounder would be awesome I got one of those from Jesse for just for that reason because yeah. I just didn't want to schlep around a 120-pound anvil. Yeah. And they're fine. If you, if you know what you're doing and you're making a knife or something like that. Now, if you're doing something enormous, it obviously isn't as easy to use. But, I mean, a small, there's nothing right. wrong with small anvils. No. Mm. Well, there you go. MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. Um, they've, got, they've got small anvils in stock. Go take a look. Um, they also sell belts, you know. They sell combat abrasives, for example, um, and plenty of other stuff as well. So go take a look. Um, and if you if you get 10 belts or more, you get 10%. They've always got deals. There are also Maritime Knife Supply on Instagram. So go take a look. Okay. we got questions, wow. listener feedback. We have a game. Oh. Um, actually, let's do a bit of listener feedback, and then we'll play a game. What do we think? Okay. Listener feedback. Guys, if you want to send listener feedback or questions or hot takes or any of these things, uh, tough dilemmas, we have some tough dilemmas, you go to Knife Talk Podcast on Instagram, shoot us a message, put it in the DMs, and uh, usually we'll put them in, usually. Hmm. Uh, the first one comes from Aru Bladeworks. Listener <laughs> Aru! Remember him? He used, to, he used to write in all the time. Aru Bladeworks says, listener feedback, I have, a much de- I have a much deserved thank you I would like to convey to you. I've been on the making. I've been on a making hiatus for a couple months in an attempt to rebuild the inside of my shop entirely, focusing on workflows, organization, efficiency, while taking quite a few cues from Knife Talk and addressing ventilation, lighting, and building a dedicated grind room. Yes, this is a subtle flex. I've grown tired of quote shitting up my shop with crap. And it's time for an overhaul. The thank you comes for the many years of tips, ideas, advice, and recommendations that have helped us, uh, help many of us uh, out in our craft and our shops. Again, thank you and keep up the great work. And for a little bit of callback, fuck you, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Knife it. works. That was it. Uh, yeah, there you, there you go. I like that one. That was good. I root blade. Ah, you blade works. Wahoo! Knife works. Okay. Um, what else have we got? Any more? No- An- we got feedback? a few anonymous. Uh, anonymous. This is from the legal question we had last week about the. You know, remember that legal question we had last week about the guy who was concerned that it, a company was giving him fritz about a knife he made. Oh yes, similar design. Yeah. He said, "Legal question. Thanks for the feedback. I appreciate what all you had to what you all had to say, and I think I will do a redesign. I'd love to get feedback when that is done." P.S. Jeff, it does not smush the cigar. I said, uh, I said the friction folder with a where you cut off the the cigar end by the finger notch. I said I was going to smush the cigar anyway, and he goes, "It won't smush the cigar." Uh, so, so I'm with you. Uh, um, I'm with you. Uh, Ronald Knive says, for listeners with the possible trademark patent issue, that's this. The, the previous uh, hmm. guy to hold a patent, the owner needs to defend it. If they aren't seen to defend it in some countries, they can potentially lose ownership or find it becomes unenforceable. Uh, the other option, rather than fighting or giving up, would be to talk to them about licensing the right to manufacture. Spider Code does do that. Spider Code do that with their Spidey Hole 
<laughs> and uh, I don't know, <laughs> Spidey hole. I don't know. What, uh, that's like as a as a okay. that a technical term. I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, that's Peter Parker's problem. That's what he says when he goes to the proctologist. <laughs> can, doctor, can you check this Spidey hole? <laughs> Sorry, uh, and only charge a nominal fee might be a win-win. Um, that's, not bad. that's not bad advice. Uh, Navigator Knife Company says, listener feedback. Uh, last week, I believe you have, Jeffrey, last week, I believe you were referring to my video on electro etching with a 9-volt battery. We were talking about electro etching, and I, oh, yes, I yeah. stumbled upon a guy uh, that I guess was Navigator Knife Company. The positive side goes to the blade. The negative side goes to a Q-tip dipped in electrolytes, salt water. Uh, for guys starting out with limited resources, this method works very well. Just wanted to clarify in case anyone's listening, uh, wanting more info. Keep up the good time. Keep up the good times rolling, Brendan. Out. P.S. I'm Canadian and I can read. <laughs> you got a lot of those, Craig. You got a lot of those. You got a lot of those. Ah. But uh, and then I'll just do one more. Uh, Seventy Three Forge says I made a couple knives for the contestants on Alone on the History Channel. I heard you wow. guys talking about it. It's the real deal. As far as TV shows go, no BS. Mm. Yeah, so. it's hardcore. It is hardcore. Okay, yeah. Jeff. Oh. Welcome to What Would Morocco Do? What Would Morocco <laughs> Do? Now, here's what we're going to do. Put the Can you put the, uh, the, the, uh, the thinking bed down? You know, that... There you go. All right, guys. Welcome to the newest game for the 250th episode. It's called What Would Morocco Do? Judge, jury, executioner, we'll pose real DMs I've received anonymously to Morocco, and he'll decide what he would do if it were sent to him, block or not block, and I must obey the judge's rulings. If he says I block... I block regardless of who it is. That's the game. <laughs> Simultaneously, Craig will hear the DM and text me what he thinks Mareko will do before oh. he makes judgment. I couldn't leave you out. Okay. I couldn't I leave you, you out. Okay. Um, how well, and then this part of the game is how well does Craig know Mareko? Okay. Okay. Are we ready to play? You guys understand? So yes. for the listeners at home, I have been receiving, t- and I don't block a lot of people. I don't block a lot of people. I usually, for some reason, I don't know, I don't know why, but Mareko, he don't mind it. He got a lot of followers, and some of them are knuckleheads, so he get rid of them. <laughs> we, this has been an ongoing joke since day one, <laughs> and what we're going to do is I'm going to read off anonymous DMs. You don't know who they're from that I've received. Mareko, I want I want you to be serious now. Mull it okay. over. Okay, mull it over. Okay. You can mull it over. And then Craig, you're gonna listen to. You are going to text me what you think Mareko will say. Then Mareko will you will give judgment. Okay? Does that got sound you. good? Gotcha. Okay. We got it, yeah. Okay. The first one. The first one is Hi Jeff. Would you have any interest in letting us carry a few of your knives for our artist run wedding gift registry site? We would love for people to be able to register for your knives. Let us know. Thanks. So, Craig, get typing. Mareko, you can think it through. Make your own decisions. Okay, I've sent. Okay. I think I'm ready. 
I'm ready to pass the judgment. All right, well, I haven't got... Uh, oh, shit. I got to turn my... Uh, hold on a second. Okay. Oh, Okay, Jesus got it. Okay, Christ. I didn't turn my... Okay, okay, okay. I got... I got... Uh, <laughs> I got Craig's. This is going to work great. I had to turn on my focus usually. Okay, now we're good. All right. What's your judgment? I'm going to say don't block them because... And this is my re- reason and logic. You, of all makers, are better set up for something like that than anybody else. With your gift certificates and your occasional runs, uh, I could see something like that potentially actually working for you guys. Ooh. Good answer. Mareko, do you want to know what Craig said? Uh, sure, yeah. Craig said block. <laughs> block. block. He's going to say block to everyone. No, you, he, I mean, he's down no, one. I, I assumed you would. I, no, I wouldn't say I'd block. I, I assumed you would. Yeah, Craig, you, you're, you're down one already. See, now we have a game. We have a game for everybody, guys. Okay, the next yeah. question is... Not question. The next DM that I've received. All right, Mareko. Your last post where you used captions, a few things were misspelled. If you don't care, that's great. Uh, but if you want to care, you can edit it. Block or not block. Basically, okay, I'll read it again. Your last post where you used captions, a few things were misspelled. If you don't care, that's great. If you do care, you can edit it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was from Charlie, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. You tell me. I don't. It could have been. I mean, there were a lot of people who wrote in on that one. Okay, okay. I've sent my. I've sent I, my I received. Response. I received. I the Craig. DVD. That's why uh, I wanted to make. I had to change my thing. Now we can hear Craig's. Craig has responded. So, what is your okay. answer? Okay, I'm gonna say right now. Uh, I'm gonna say not block. All right, not block. That's a. That's very. It was Derek from Malden. Derek from Malden almost got the got. The, but he did it quite respectfully, I think. He did. I wanted to try to I was trying to like change it just took a few words out. Like I took out the hey buddy and I took out a lot of like little things <laughs> just to kind of make it quit weird. So okay. Uh the next qu- all right, and Craig got it right. So Craig's one and one. All right, so the next qu- the next DM I got is Do you remember when you said you'd make me a knife? Is it all is it done already? <laughs> And somebody sent this to you, yeah, Jeff. Yeah. Yep, yep. Okay. Okay. I know what I'm gonna do. Yeah. There. <laughs> so mull it over, uh, Mareko. Okay, Craig sends it over. We'll see what we'll see what we'll see what the story is. What do you think? I would say block. <laughs> <laughs> is that your uh, brother-in-law? <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, someone's. This is a guy I blocked years ago. So okay. the answer Craig wrote, Craig wrote fucking block. So we both, <laughs> Craig's got he's got two right and one wrong. We like this game. Mm, All yeah, right. all good, all, all good. Right. Yeah, you're, you're being. I, I got to give you credit, Mareko. You're being very very fair. You're being very very fair. All right. The next one is when I come to New York, can I stay with you? Ooh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Can I when I when I come to New York, can I stay with you? Is <laughs> What do you think? I just sent. All right, all right, all right. Mareko, you want to kind of mull it over? Could be anybody. Could be my aunt, for Christ's sake. Aunt Louise. Block block or no block? I'm going to say no block (laughs) because I feel like there's more to that conversation that's already happened that I'm not getting. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, Craig is like Craig is Craig is <laughs> reported. He wrote and reported. <laughs> uh, 
So there you go. So the an- the answer was I'm not going to block. That's the answer. Okay. I only had to block one person, but I already blocked him. The next one is um, I love to come to the shop and forge for the day. Block, no block. What do you do? Who you don't know who it is? Could be anybody. It is it is obnoxious for someone to assume that they can just you can stop everything and let them forge with you for the day, right? I get that a lot, actually. I get a lot of like, I can't wait to come up to your, I want to come up to your shop and let's make a knife. Block or unblock? Scent. I'm going to say don't block. All right. Hmm. No blocking. Craig told me not to block you. He wouldn't block either. So you guys are doing great. We're rounding third. Um, We got a few more. This is why this is obnoxious is because people don't realize that your, your day is probably worth $1,000. Right. Uh, well, it, it's it, the the biggest problem with with these small businesses is they think that because you're the you're, you're I get my friends of mine who just think I can go fishing all the time. You right. know, it's like hmm. I don't have t- I don't have time to you know I don't have the time I barely have time to mow the lawn. You know, it's like <laughs> so you know it happens. Okay, you ready? This is going to be a tough one. It'll be a tough one. Oh, shut up! You're an idiot. <laughs> That was the DM I received. That's an easy one. Is it? Sent. Okay. Mareko, what do you think? Oh, shut up. You're an idiot. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've blocked people for that, but they were people I didn't know. Now, if it was somebody I did know, that might be a different situation. Craig, stop sending me memes for God's sakes. So what would you say? Mareko, what would you say? I don't know. I, I, I'm afraid to say block because I don't I don't know who it is. You don't know who it is, I, or I don't I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this it's, is, it's hard without the context. That's the that's why there's stakes in this game. I got to do the blocking. <laughs> Craig, stop fucking <laughs> sending me shit. I'm trying to fucking concentrate. He's sending you titty. <laughs> he's sending me like he's sending me <laughs> off to like porno sites. This fucking guy. <laughs> I tell you what. After you answer this question, we have we have got to like we got to tell some a couple old. Knife talk stories. So okay. okay. So what, okay. what's the answer, Mareko? Uh I would say, "Shut up, you're an idiot." Is what I got sent. Wow, this one's a tough one for you. This, yeah, it is. Uh, Go ahead. I, I want to say because I'm trying to think of who you know that would say that to you. Yeah, but a stranger could be a stranger. I know. Wow, this is wanna, eating you up inside. I'm gonna say block them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Block. I agree. There goes you my there to. goes my sister. <laughs> I'm not kidding either. I'm blocking my sister right now, Carrie. When you she don't know the internet, she don't know how to use Instagram anyway. She's gonna say something's wrong. I never see your shit anymore. I'm like, I don't know. No, not my problem. Record told me to block you. I'm not gonna say a thing. Okay, so I'm officially of. I'm not finally, sorry about that. No, it's fine. She won't know. She won't know. <laughs> So uh, I'm not, you know, that's the funniest part. She's like, what's going on with my Instagram? I'm like, don't worry about it. You've been blocked. So no one's going to say a word. Uh, The next one is, I got a couple more and then we'll hang it up. Uh, This one comes in and they said, hi, dear. Would you like to see some of my knives for sale? Block. All right. Sorry. I don't have to wait for Craig. (laughs) No waiting for that. I don't have to wait for Craig. Yeah. Hi, dear. Next one. How much? hate that one mm. that one's a bad one how much is a bad one <sighs> i, I, I would want how to much block a bad them one. but 
I probably would not block them, and I would sit. I have like a, a standard response of, "If you are interested in my work, please sign up for my newsletter." Blah blah blah. Craig, just give me the fucking word. You know, he sends me. <laughs> Craig Lockwood is unbelievable. With the, he is like Mister <laughs> Phone. He sent. He's finding like memes and shit to send me. Just block or not block. It's all not. It says oh, not. I, it says okay. not. Yeah. Uh, so the so what did you when did you end up saying, Craig? I said right. no block. All right, no block. Craig, you're doing good on this one. Yeah. Uh, the, one of the last ones is you know you use too much epoxy. Why do you do that? <laughs> I get that a lot too. Usually from Australians, believe it or not. I get a lot of Australians giving me fritz about how much epoxy I use. You wasteful American. I man. mean, obviously. <laughs> Uh, I say no block. All right, no block. Yeah, I agree. Okay, no block. Sorry, I didn't have... I couldn't find a gif in time. Last two. Last two. Last two. Block or no block? Too bad you don't forge those knives. Oh. Oh. I don't know why, people. There he goes. Craig's on the money, man. (laughs) Yeah. I would say block, though. All right. That's... Nate Zimmerman, you're gone. Nice talking to you, Nate. <laughs> and the last one, and the last one is, I have been a big fan. I have a big fan base on YouTube, and I love to review oh. one of your knives. It's a great opportunity for both of us to cross for cross promotion. <laughs> <laughs> ding ding, block. All right. Jamie Oliver, it's nice knowing you. Okay. <laughs> that was the end of that. That's the end of the game. We like this game. That was the end of the game. I thought it would be. There we go. Well, I'll keep. There you go. There what go. would Morocco do? You know? Okay. Well, Morocco's got a bit of a quiz for us, these three questions that we've started to do. Um, but before we do, let's just hear from our sponsor. Combat Abrasives makes the world's best abrasive belts for knife makers. Available in any size at unbelievable prices. Go take a look at CombatAbrasives.com and get 15% off with promo code KNIFETALK15. Do it now. There we go. KNIFETALK15 at CombatAbrasives.com. Mareko, what have you got for us? Okay, I got three for three. So Craig brought this up a few weeks back uh, where he presented three questions and he, and he was looking for three answers for every question. So my first one is, so, you know, we are a, in this craft of knife making, we are constantly looking to grow and continue to kind of perfect our craft and our skills and, and I guess hone and perfect our skills. Um, and so my first question is about critiques um, mm. how to give them, how to accept them, how to enact them. What do you guys think? Um, especially Jeff, I would love to hear your insights from your, uh, your background in, in art and, um, and critiquing being a big part of taking those classes and talking about each other's work. Um, but Craig, I'm also very interested in seeing what you have to say. Are you referring to asking for critique or taking unsolicited critique? Well, so, so that's kind of the thing. Like, so like I was saying, it was, it's a big part. Like I've, I've taken my work up to makers whose work I respect, um, whether they uh, are, have really high and fine fit and finish or they're really talented chef's knife makers like Don Wynn. I have him every, every time I have work and I'm near him, I have him take a look at my knives and I look for his feedback, even professional chefs for feedback. I'm just like, for me, it's, me constantly trying to push 
my skill level and my understanding of these tools that I'm making. And it's such a big part, I feel like, of this craft. Um, but yeah, I guess, so how, how would you, if you were looking for critique, how would you, how would you do that? How would you approach somebody? And then, or the opposite, if somebody had maybe kind of uh, some quote unquote unsolicited critique or some unsolicited advice for you, but again, it's coming from somebody who you, whose work you respect or somebody mm. who is a mentor to you, who's coming up and saying, Hey, I'm seeing your work. I, I I'm liking these things, but I can see there's an opportunity possibly for some improvement here. How do you, like, how do you feel about accepting that kind of stuff? Or do you completely ignore it altogether? Um, like, yeah, I'm curious what you guys' thoughts are on critiques. I think if it's unsolicited, um, but for some, from somebody you know and respect, I think you need to. I think, you, I think personally, I, I would respect that. And that, you know, it depends the way it's been phrased. Surely, I think if they say like, you know, that's just a piece of shit. You should have done it this way. Um, <laughs> you're gonna be, you're gonna be quite insulted by it. But I think, yeah. you know, there's there's a way. And I think Derek from Malden explained earlier about finding a typo. He did it in a in a, in a way which wasn't like. Are you fucking stupid! Look what you've done, kind of thing. Um, there's a way of you know communicating with people, and and if they do it respectfully, I think you need to sort of respect that. Um, but if you get critique from somebody you you don't know or you've never sort of conversed with before, um, and their work is a piece of shit, I think you can just throw that in the bin and block them and never speak to them ever again. <laughs> um, but yeah, Jeff, I'd be interested in what you've got to say as well. Come from a you know from a well, from art perspective as well, where critique is is the norm. I don't know if you're going to like what I have to say. I, I I actually personally have been led down bad roads with critiques, mm. and okay. to the point where, um, in my youth and later, I thought that I had I knew better. I trusted some advice from someone who was supposed to be a mentor or a teacher. They told me I was going down the wrong way and it turned out I was going down the right way. And I, and so mm. there's, does that make sense? There was yeah, some yeah. things that I was, I wanted to do. I was told that that's not the way you should be doing. You should be doing like this. And I said, all right, well, he knows better than me. And then I listened and then I regretted it. I regretted it deeply. Mm. And it probably, and there's probably some psychological aspects of, Knowing that I was right when I was younger and then told me, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. And then, you know, and then not trusting my own gut. So mm. for me personally, I think if you're looking for critique, I think it's great. If you're not looking for critique, you're not looking for critique. You know, it's interesting because when it comes to art critique, you're not just talking, you know, there are technical parts, but a lot of times art critique is about being able to discuss the work that you've done and whether or not it's successful or not, whether or not you're conveying what you're trying to get across correctly, or are there things that are stumbling blocks that are making it harder for the viewer to see what you're trying to get across. That's really what critique is about. You know, critique mm -hmm. is like, are you being successful in what you're trying to put out in the world? And, you know, usually you're, 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 uh, you're accepting of it or not. Um, I really, really, really don't like it when people bring me knives to look at. Like, I don't feel number one. I don't feel like I'm 
any person to be talking about knives. There's some things I'll say like, well, how would you clean that spot? Like if there's like a, like a connection that you're having problems with, I would think about like the technical aspect of that's going to be tricky to get to, you know, or something like that. Or, or you, you should be putting your scales on after you've hand sand, you know, I, there's little things that like, I'll, I'll help you in terms of like ways in which to make it easier on your own life. But in regards to like, you know, is this, I don't know from fit and finish on like hunting knives and all that stuff. And part of me also is enjoying learning as I go. Like I've, I've learned just recently that this tile saw is making my fit ups a mile better. And mm-hmm. I don't know, it's, it's a personal, it's a personal decision. And sure. I don't know if I'm the right person to ask, be honest with you. Cause I have like psychological conditions. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess I'm, I'm thinking of it, I guess not necessarily from a, I mean, some people might ask for a critique about the aesthetic, but I guess like we all make culinary knives. And so I guess from the perspective of the, the thing being a tool first and, and it, that being, I guess a potential, because it's happened to me like in the past, especially when I first started making knives, like I was making decent kitchen knives, but from professionals who have had a lot of in-depth experience, um, with, uh, like really high performance, high, high handcrafted, uh, culinary knives. They're like, you know, I, I like what you do and I like where you're going with the contours and the handles and stuff like that. But I think like you can push your geometry farther. And at the time I didn't know that it wasn't thin enough. And I was pleasantly surprised at how far I actually could push geometry. It just, just as like one um, I guess, point of reference. Um, and so, so I guess it is critique something that you guys seek out, um, ever or, or like Jeff, you were just over in Spain, uh, with Tomer, like you, you must've had work or seen each other's work. Do you guys, you know, how do you guys talk about each other's work or like, I guess kind of in that way, not even necessarily like a very serious critique, but just kind of like, looking at each other's work and be like, Oh, that's interesting. Or I mean, I, what, why did you make this decision or this choice and stuff like that? I don't, I mean, I don't necessarily do. I didn't, I don't think I've done that with, 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 with Tomer. Um, I never really, we don't really, I mean, when I'm with friends, I just, I guess I just don't get into like these kind of like mental chess matches. <laughs> and I, mm. I just like, for oh, me, it's more along the lines of like with Tomer, I noticed what he was doing. And then I did make some changes like, Oh, you know, he's going a little bit thinner here. I'm going to try to focus on that. And I, there were some things that I picked up, but it wasn't like we weren't like, we weren't sitting down for critique. Mm. You know, it was like, sure. you know, I honestly be honest with you. The other thing is, is like for me, I also, you know, this isn't cancer medicine. You know, it's I, I think, I think that it's like, you know, sometimes I think, a lot of times, especially knife makers, get a little bit too bananas and don't allow them to naturally grow as people. You know, some people want critique. I, God bless you. I mean, uh, my friend Tristan, uh, who I was down in uh, uh, CMA, Tristan, who's awesome, Fifth Alarm Forge, great dude. Listen, a P.S. Everyone was listening to Pot Knife Talk came to the came to the shop, um, but he wanted critique, and I was just like, look, I, I just don't do it. And I said, it looks great. Keep going. I mean, it's just like, make another one. You know, it's, I, I don't really, I don't really do that. And I just, you know, I pro- like I said, probably some psychological effects of 
you know, being led down the wrong road and not trusting myself and allowing myself to grow naturally. I mean, I always know when something's right or wrong and I'm constantly trying to make myself better and I think about how I can make things better. I, th- I think there's a, a danger in asking people for uh, critique as well because they may feel as if they've got to say something um, because they may look like a dummy if they don't. And so, you know, it, it not necessarily be a critique that they'd normally give or n- they'd normally point out, but it's like, oh, I've got to say something. What am I going to say? Oh, oh maybe, maybe it could be thinner. You know, j- just coming out with some more cliche or something just because they'll feel stupid if they, they can't give critique as well. I suppose there's always a risk of that maybe. Right, but I feel like some feedback is definitely valuable because otherwise oh, you're yes, in an echo yes. chamber and you could be bouncing around thinking you're making the great fucking knives, but they're actually fucking turds with skirts on. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. I think there's some value in some of that feedback. I mean, you got to... Obviously, we all start from somewhere, whether it's just using the culinary knives we have in our own kitchens already as a reference. Hmm. But then... But that upward growth, I feel like... I mean, for me, is a constant. Like, I'm constantly trying to push it and see what I can discover and figure out or do differently, either for efficiency but still get high performance and all the thinness and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was just I, – I know how I do it, and I've been curious for a while to to ask you guys and, and, and see what your take was on, mm-hmm. I guess, kind of on – how you continue to push yourselves. Uh, is it through critique? Is it just, I, maybe it's just through your own exploration um, to, to keep pushing the performance and the quality of the tools that you're making. Um, not, again, not necessarily the aesthetics, uh, but what, obviously when it comes to culinary knives, like they should cut and perform in a certain, in kind of a, a nuanced way. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not just sharp things that look like chef's knives. Like there are some, you know, some serious nuances to them, but, uh, I'm, I've just been curious to know, like, what your guys's approach to progress, I guess, for yourself and growth is as you continue to make knives. Yeah, I mean, it is quite difficult for me because I, I I'm not sort of surrounded here by you know people within the sort of knife making community. Even even though weirdly there is you know an older generation of knife makers here, um, so yeah, my, I, I you know I don't show my work locally or anywhere i don't show my work and then less people buy my work i suppose but um so yeah so feedback for me is generally just from customers Mm. um and you know it's it's probably more praise than not because they want to sort of you know um say hold how great my knife is as opposed to pick a hole in it i suppose but um yeah it's a difficult one and i'm wondering if we flip that the other way what if somebody comes to you and asks for feedback um do you just give it to them all barrels or do you sort of hold back a bit and, and you know try not to offend you know it, it's got to be difficult the other side as well i'd imagine i mean it definitely is obviously jeff yeah. was just expressing how he doesn't enjoy it i, I honestly yeah. don't really it's not enjoy enjoyed it or not, it's not enjoyed or not i don't seek it out yeah I yeah and, but i do you know when i have a customer who makes a suggestion i listen Years ago, I listened to one customer who said a few things. I was like, eh, maybe he makes a good point. Let me give it a try. I mean, I'm constantly trying to, every knife, I try to make subtle, tiny changes and see where sure. I can go to make a knife that is, is that, that works. It's good. I bring them home every, every you know, 10th knife comes home with me. And then the other thing is, is, is uh, something else I'm going to say. I, I, I think it's important to, you know, never be satisfied. But at the same time, for my customers, I also try to make it so they're easy to maintain. Sure. You know, but I, but I wonder, are you, is there a specific answer you're looking for? 
No, no, no. Uh, so to answer Craig's question is, um, it, I, I honestly, I mean, I don't seek out to give critiques either, but I also kind of understand like the position that we're, we're kind of in, especially being on this podcast, like people look up whether we like it or not. They, they look up to us or they respect us and our opinion. And, and we've, we're in that position kind of whether we like it or not. And so, um, anything that I can do to help tr anybody who's on their journey or continuing to trying to continue to learn and push their craft, I try to, and, and I haven't had to do it honestly in a long time since I haven't been in many trade shows, but that's usually where it happens. And like Jack Henry, uh, knives, um, he brought up a knife to me at blade show 2019, I believe. And honestly, like there wasn't much to say. Um, but you know, you, it, I think it is also valuable to kind of help reassure people that they are kind of on the right track too, by, you know, getting mm -hmm. your hands on the blade, touching the, feeling the blade geometry and then, and, uh, the transit and looking at the transitions and, and saying, you know, this looks good. And that's that, like all this stuff is looking good. And if there's maybe only a few tiny little things, I, it, I'll, I'll bring that up, but that's also, uh, Craig, you were asking like, do you kind of just gloss over it and kind of play nice or do you go deep? And then I honestly, yeah. I ask the person, I'm like, you know, are you like, what do you, you want me to just look at this and see what's nice? Or do you really want me to like go into it? Like I'm looking mm. at my own work. Yeah. And, and then depending on their answer, that will depend, that will determine my response. But no, I wasn't looking for a particular answer, Jeff. I, I was just, I've, I've always, this has all been in my own head of how I try to push and continue to grow. And I've, I've been curious how you guys do that as well. Um, mm. But you guys, I feel like, have pretty much answered that. No, I mean, yeah. you know. That's the thing. It's not quite – it's a topic, isn't it? At, topic sure. discussion. At, yeah. some, at, okay. some, at some level, too, there needs to be self-discovery. And, and, and I think that, you know, if you're being honest with yourself and knowing that things can get better and you focus on the next one getting better, I mean, I think that that's important too, you know, as yeah. opposed to oh, just keep doing yeah. the same goddamn thing over and over again. My, my sure. shit has changed. My shit's changed in the last six months. My shit, my, my knives have changed in the last two weeks. And it's just because I'm, you know, making, I'm trying to make better changes because I know what the problems are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that was that was, that was uh, question two. number one. Topic right. one. <laughs> Before we go on to topic two, um, yeah. we talked earlier about anvils. Texas Power Supply have a big stock of anvils. Um, some big, big boys there big as well. Um, so go take a look. TexasFarrowSupply.com. They've got everything you'd possibly need as a knife maker or farrier. Um, and they do sell Indasa RhinoWet, which is the, the sandpaper. If you're making knives... You need to be using RhinoWet. It's going to save you time and money. So yeah, TexasFarrowSupply.com. And if you use Knife Talk 10, you'll get 10% off at checkout too. So go take a look. Okay, hit us with it. Okay, the, the last two are, I guess, I think a, a little bit lighter. Uh, the second one is, if there was a culinary, a culinary knife equivalent of the ABS, what do you think three qualities a certified maker would need to satisfy? Oh, that's a good okay. question. Yeah. Jeez. For uh, three qualities. Well, who are I, the I mean, or, or whatever you got, <laughs> whatever you can think of. I mean, obviously, I think fit and finish is important, especially for culinary knives. For me personally, um, it, it would be important because th there's a sanitary 
there's a the, there's a layer, layer level of sanitation quality that needs to be there, and if there's weird gaps or or little holes and places where food and stuff can get trapped and get nasty, hmm. I, I feel like um, that's no good. So fit and finish uh, yeah. would definitely, I think, be one aspect for sure. Yeah. Well, I've I've got three. I've got fit finish, um, cut. Obviously, it needs to perform well. Um, it needs to be performant, and um, longevity. Um, I've seen plenty of great-looking knives. When you look at it, you may be like unstabilized wood, or again, if the fit and finish isn't right, you know there's going to be some gunk under that handle. It might start popping off and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think a good personally, I think a good knife would have fit and finish. It would cut well, um, but it would also, you know, survive the rigors of a of a busy kitchen. Right. Yeah, that's that's an interesting part to bring up because. Of all the knife, I think the knife, all the different knife genres or styles, the ones that get ornamented the most, especially like Bowie knives, all the way to culinary knives and hunters and everything in between, most of the non-culinary stuff doesn't actually get used, especially if it's super ornamented with uh, Damascus patterns and specialty mm-hmm. handle material and stuff like that. The chef's knives, I'm sure some of them become wall hangers or sit on a shelf, but a lot of them actually get used and so i think that is actually a really that's a really good point is to to think about how that tool over the the time and uh, of it will will last be yeah. able to last and, up, and hold up but yeah. they don't do that at the abs that's true they don't you know i mean it's like but, but this is the this is a culinary Kind yeah, of like so this arm. is something new. This is oh, something new. Something so, what, new. what what three things would you look for if this was but a then, new thing? But then all of a sudden you have these. It, then all of a sudden you have these interesting issues of like, then certain materials are all, already passed passed off. Certain materials people would just have to get rid of. Like, if you have that longevity thing, all of a sudden it's just like, well, maybe, you know, what's our definition of what's going to be longevity? You know, it's got to be stabilized wood or maybe stabilized wood isn't good enough. Maybe it's got to be like, mm. you know, well, I mean, we're going down a rabbit hole. I, I think that, <laughs> you know, obviously I, I like I like the idea of of uh, functionality, functionality, mm. um, functionality. I like the longevity thing, but then all of a sudden then you get into these little weird little, you know. Yeah, new... there's, no, there's no defined point of... Okay, well, that's yeah. gonna last long. That won't. That, yeah, it's, it's difficult to see. Sure. I wonder. It's a good. It's a tough. That's a tough one. It's yeah. a tough one because because then it's just like, are the judges cooks or are the judges like knife makers? You know. Right. And do and do we know? I mean, I know cooks who use some. You know, they use like, you know, inside of garbage cans. I mean, I know some guys who use some <laughs> bullshit. I mean, no, seriously. <laughs> I mean, I know guys who like can make it happen with almost anything. You know, so sure. it's like some of these guys are not the best judges either. You know? Sure. Um, no, I like what you guys have said. I don't have anything to add. Really, I can't really think anything offhand. Okay, I have. I do have one follow, small follow up to that second question. Is um, if there was some sort of way to measure cut performance, how do you think that would like? Is there a certain type of food that would be consistent across the world that people could cut through (laughs) to get a feel Mm. for actual cutting performance? What do you guys so think? If there's a cut test, what would like, they use? It, kind of yeah, thing? is it bananas? Yeah. Is it sweet potatoes? Like, is it sweet pot- tomatoes right off the vine? Like, what is it? Hmm. Um. Personally, I'd say I think we talked about this in the past, but carrots because they're quite fibrous, and um, 
they can quite often sort of split. If you start a cut, they'll quite often follow that line. Um, if you're using like a blunt knife, or if you know if you're not cutting all the way through, whereas if you've got a a good sharp knife, it won't necessarily follow that fibrous line. It'll just cut through and give you a nice clean cut every time. Hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's that. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, would would spadge cocking or breaking down a chicken be the culinary equivalent of chopping through a two by four? Definitely yeah, not. I, I think Definitely the not. I, I mean, it's... I think the difference is if you're looking at like a hunting knife, you want a hunting knife that's going to do most things for you. That's going to you know work well in that in a sort of survival situation, I suppose, or hunting, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. But in the kitchen, we have specialist knives for specialist things. Right. So if you're making you know like a, a knife, you know like a, a for filleting, for example, you're not going to want to use that to you know bash through bones. You know, True. so it, it is quite difficult that one. Yeah, well, you'd maybe need to categorize it if you're doing. Yeah, for kitchen knives, you may need to categorize it into, you know, sort of uh, sanded chef knives or, you know, even bread knives and, you know, knives in the hand. You know, yeah. it could be quite difficult. I would think onions are your 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 unsung hero oh, yeah. because, I mean, if the sure. knife is not sharp, then you're going to cry. Like, if a knife yeah. is sharp, you don't cry. <laughs> yeah. Fuck it, no. Water bottles. We've all seen it. We, we all know how cool it looks. <laughs> water bottles for dinner. I, I, it's interesting because I, you know, I think about this a lot, and I think about the idea of the fact that a lot of knife makers, culinary knife makers, don't really cook. You know, And I'm not just saying, sure. like, cooking in restaurants. I'm saying cooking at home. Yeah. And just making dinner without, you know, just normally. And when you're not thinking about what you're using, you get a better idea of what works and what doesn't work. And I, it's just like part of me is just like make some dinner and then see how it worked. And then do you remember? Do you even remember using a knife? Do you remember the performance while you're making dinner while your family's waiting for you to eat? You know, it's like <laughs> there are these subtle things in regards to or like cooks with service. Are they thinking through the the dinner rush about how their knife is performing before they they serve it? Like there's these levels of like, you know, what are where are we at in terms of what the value of it? Once again, I mean, we're making knives for cooking food, which is important, and it's nurturing and creating something of value and heirloom and sentimentality and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's like, you know, we're not we're not hostage negotiators. <laughs> you know, we're not we're not on like you know, this is you're making food to make for other people hmm. yeah i mean i may be well, you know, being glib about it but you know yeah well there's no sort of set standard for it um uh, there hasn't been until now but you know what's happening again in november get out of steel get out of steel chef invitational is happening again so you could be an award winner if your knives are that great you could win um yeah darmaster we love darmaster we love doing that show every year as well um but look if you're looking for a stainless damascus Dharma Steel is the stuff to go for. It's special, special stuff. Lots of beautiful patterns. Take a look at dharmasteel.se and they give you the whole story about how these patterns are made and you know, beautiful pictures. But also Dharma Steel Lab on Instagram because then you'll be able to see the kind of special stuff that people are making with Dharma Steel. Um, and if you set up an account there at dharmasteel.se and use Knife Talk at checkout, you'll get 10% off your order as well. Um, so go take a look. Nice. We ready for one last question? Let's do it. Okay. The very last one. Name three bands slash performers, dead or alive, together or not, who you would love to see. I can go first if you guys want a second. 
You go while we have a think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I I've always been a huge fan of Led Zeppelin. I've been a big fan for a long time, and um, and so I would love to see those guys perform, especially like going to one of their concerts back in you know maybe like uh, after the first few years of them coming together, or after like the Led Zeppelin three album, uh, which is my favorite. Um, I would love to see those guys perform and just like the energy and that, and that level of skill, especially seeing Jimmy Page just rip and John John Bonham on the drums, like it would be pretty awesome um and then i would love to see the black keys uh those guys freaking rock um uh, yeah i think they're both super talented and i would love to see those guys performing live they got a lot of energy too super cool and then finally i would love to see adele i would love to be at an adele concert uh, I would love to be up close because like the energy I feel like coming off of her as she sings is, has got to be just like immense. Like, I don't know. Her, her vocals are incredible. Mm, and so yeah. I would love to see her. Okay. I think I've got three. Um, these could possibly change tomorrow depending on what mood I'm in. Um, <laughs> Beatles in their prime mid sixties. That's got to be exciting. You know, um, you know, just before sort of Shea Stadium where things got too crazy. But, um, yeah, being able to see them in a, in a smaller environment where they're just rocking and they do it for sort of four or five hours. Um, that could have been, I think that would have been really special. Um, Radiohead. Mm. I have, I've never seen them live. And right. I think if you're in the right environment for that, I think that could be really, really special. And the last one um, probably talks about what sort of mood I'm in is uh, Nick Drake. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, um, very sort of acoustic, sort of quintessentially English and um, amazing, you know, amazing songs. Um, I think, I think, yeah, that could be cool. So, uh, yeah, the Beatles obviously could never happen. Nick Drake has obviously never happened. Uh, Radiohead, it's, it's on the bucket list to happen. So, yeah, that would be awesome. Look at you. Look at you. Look at you. Well, I was just listening to the Almond Brothers, and I would love to see the Almond Brothers. Hmm. I would love to see the Rolling Stones, preferably if we're doing times, late 70s, early 80s. And the third one would be uh, NWA. I love Ice Cube. Nice. Or actually, that or NWA or Public Enemy. I love Chuck right D, sort of eighty eight, eighty nine. I love Chuck. Yeah. Chuck wow. D. Chuck D. is one of my favorites of all time. I love Chuck D. Yeah, mm. nice. Did any of you catch the the Taylor Hawkins tribute act that was last Saturday? The, I, the, I only uh, saw clips. I saw the Fuck one where the son was. I saw where his son was. Oh, what he did, my hero. Yeah. yeah, it was incredible. It, I think it was on for six and a half, seven hours. Dave Grohl was on stage for most of it, playing with all the different artists, and that some of the artists they had up it was just like it was phenomenal, and it was it was surprisingly emotional. You know, it was it was yeah, it was an amazing show, amazing show. But they're doing it all again, aren't they? The end of the month in LA, um, oh, where wow. they'll have they'll have different guests. But I mean, I don't know how you could ever top those guests. You know, it was yeah, it was fantastic. Hmm. Sorry, um, yeah, we've all set our three, haven't we? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Cool cool right well i want to tell everybody about another sponsor um it is broadback because they do fantastic grinders um i think maybe jeff it's your turn you tell everybody about your broadback and what it means to you 
I tell you what, I have three grinders in my shop, and the Broadbeck is the one that I go to every single time. It's it's got it's solid. It's solid. I love it with the VFD. I love it horizontally. I love it vertically. I definitely love all the different attachments. Uh, I think it's very user friendly, and I and I really do enjoy it. I actually, was talking to a few friends of mine. They were asking me what I really thought about the Broadbeck, and I said, "Look, I really, really like this Broadbeck, and they have great customer service." So you go to BroadbeckIronworks.com, and what are the promos running these days? Knife Talk Two Hundred will get you two hundred dollars off one of their packages, their grinder packages, and Knife Talk One Hundred will get you one hundred dollars off their sharpening system or their sewing machine, their leather sewing machine that they have. There you go. There we go. Get there we go. A, Shall we get yourself a grinder? There you go. Shall we do a few questions before we head out? Sure. Okay. Uh, let's have a look. Um, John Marston says, um, "I have some steel questions." Do you have a favorite steel to work with? If so, has your favorite steel changed through the years of your knife-making journey? And how do you feel about knife steel fads? And last but not least, is there a steel you haven't worked with that you'd like to try? Hmm. Um, favorite steels. Do you generally work with the same sort of stuff? Yes, I do. I uh, I kind of follow the the rule. The uh, something that uh, Jason Knight said is use one steel and just get comfortable with it i do like the idea of finding something that you like and just kind of like using it uh i'm starting to i'm starting to switch over from 440c i'm starting to dip my toe into aebl uh different types of heat treatment different little cryo things here and there and then the grinding and stuff like that so aebl is something i've been tossing around with but at the same time 440c is for stainless i do like uh 1084 uh, and I like fifty two one hundred mm. for carbon. Yeah, yeah. I generally, if I'm doing a carbon steel, it's generally fifty two one hundred, just because I've got a lot of it here, and it's what I've always used. So when it comes to heat treating it, you know, I sort of know what works for me. Um, and stainless, which most of my stuff is now, is either twelve C twenty seven by Sandvik or a fourteen C twenty eight again by Sandvik. Um, and simply using Sandvik because. Um, they use mainly recycled steels and um, they're, they're like sort of carbon neutral in the making of them all and so on. They're, 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 yeah, their environmental reports are great. So, yeah, so Sandvik is, is great. Um, yeah, so that's what I use. Uh, Mareko. I mean, most of my work is Damascus. Uh, and I honestly, I, I really like the, the appearance and the performance of the mixture of 1080 uh, and 15 and 20. Um, uh, uh, I've been interested in wanting to experiment and play more with some stainless. I've been looking at AEBL as well as uh, 14C28N, um, just because I ha- I already have some of that material and um, and it's readily available to me. Um, and so, kind of looking to do some experiments with that and and do some more stainless work. Um, but yeah, I I think the only other thing. I'd really like to get into more is probably uh, playing with like hormones. Uh, and so working with seals like W1, W2, 1095 um, and getting um, more familiar with them and, and, and understanding, you know, the process of the thermocycling and the clay and everything that goes into preparing the steel and the material to set up for a great hormone. Um, and you know, there are makers out there like Jared ball and, and Greg Sims and, and 
plenty others who are doing really awesome stuff. And so I would love uh, to do more Hamon uh, blades as well. Uh, but when it comes to fads, uh, I don't, I don't know. I have a hard time jumping on fads or getting too excited about new materials. Mm-hmm. Um, I did try out the Apex Ultra. I forged out a blade. It was, it was a tough material to forge. It's very similar to 52100. Um, yeah, but heat treating wise, it all was pretty straightforward. Actually, Laren just has a, had a new article out about heat treating uh, Apex Ultra. Um, but I'm, I'm interested to see. And do some more te- uh, finish the heat treating process and do some testing with it at a higher hardness, um, f- um, just to kind of get more of a feel of what that what the difference feels like between what I'm used to and, and Apex Ultra. Hmm. Okay, cool. Um, you guys looked on the list. See if there's anything uh, specific that you'd like to ask. Um, we've, we've just got a big bunch of questions here still. I'll just take the next one from Chase Dove. Yep. Uh, it says, I really want to get started bladesmithing, but due to being in the military, I'm constantly moving and living in dorms or apartments. I should be able to rent a house at my next station, but until then, are there any skills I can start working on, or is there a setup you recommend with a small footprint that can allow me to start learning? Uh, so he wants to get into bladesmithing and knife making, but he moves a lot. So what's, what are your guys' take on a on a small setup that maybe is mobile that he can take around with him mm. yeah i mean he states specifically smith in there doesn't he so it's it's gonna be a bit more difficult yeah. uh i mean we've already mentioned a small anvil at the top of the show um i don't know what do you guys think i don't know man i mean my would suggest is focus on seeing if you can get some classes take some classes when you have some time off because that might be your an easier way to kind of get into it without he's all that's you know when i used to fish i used to buy the the cheap cheap fishing rods and stuff like that and then you start to get better at it and then you start to get more you know nicer ones and you realize i just spent all this money on stuff that i just kind of grew out mm-hmm. of very quickly yeah. so part of me would probably say suggest is spend your energy and time on classes i know our friend tom moss has taken a pile of classes at New England, uh, New England School of Metalwork and the Center for Metal Arts, and I think it is a really, it was a beneficial to him. And I for would sure. uh, highly suggest uh, classes. Yeah, yeah, and if you're in a position where maybe you you have taken classes and you are ready to get your gear together, but you, you have to keep it small. I mean, honestly, the the hardest part is. It, it, most of the stuff that I use, uh, like say I'm I'm not going to make Damascus, but I I am going to forge blades. So I can I can fit in the back of my truck. I can easily fit a forge, and an anvil and an anvil stand. I can also fit my grinder. I can fit my heat treating oven. But the problem is, is like once you get somewhere, where do you put that stuff? Yeah. To do the work. Yeah. Where like where? And so you'd still have to find somewhere to do that stuff. Um, and you don't want to, you know, be running off the 220 out of the laundromat <laughs> to run your grinder or your heat treating kiln um, necessarily. But uh, a, a simple and straightforward setup, those, you know, those f- whatever, four or five things I just mentioned, six things, um, you know, the, that all that stuff can fit in the back of a truck. It's just a matter of being able to have somewhere to do that work once you get there. 
And if you, mm. maybe you got a place to rent now, like a house, but then what happens if you move again and then you're stuck in an apartment again? Like, where does that stuff go? That's, that would be my concern. Um, yeah. But, you know, I've heard of people like <laughs> setting up a grinder in their, in their bathroom at, oh, in their fuck. apartment. Oh, um, <laughs> and, and like grinding in the bathtub. Oh. I've never heard of that in my life. I've never grinding in the bathtub. That's our title for this year. <laughs> there this week. you go. <laughs> grinding in the bathtub. You are welcome. Um, but I, I mean, the most essential for making knives would obviously be a grinder for sure. But when it comes to, I mean, I don't. Oh, Jesus Christ! Because you can send stuff out to be heat treated. You can, um, you know, you can basically, you know, do an assembly job after it's been heat treated to just do the finish grinding, but then also do the handle assembly. You can do, if you've got a grinder, you can do the grinding there. You need a hand drill to blast holes in the handle for pins or Corby bolts. Like that's pretty straightforward. Mm. That's easy. Yeah, to I move suppose around. you're right there. Most things could be outsourced, but when it comes yeah. down to it, you're going to need a grinder. You're right. Yeah. 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 I think this might not be the time in your life for this. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but it's like, Sometimes it's either you can figure it out or you can't figure it out. It sounds to me yeah. like if you're moving around a lot that, mm. you know, you're going to sh- you're going to schlep all your stuff and then what? Put your anvil in your duffel bag? I mean, it's like, you know, it's, uh, it's here's the move. You do you pull the Joe Maynard. This is what you do. You get a utility trailer and you pull it behind your truck. And that's your shop. Boom. All right. There you go. Yeah, yeah, get a get a mobile unit. There you go. Mobile unit. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll do the next one because I think um, uh, Mareko probably uh, skimmed over it because he saw his name in there. Um, from Caleb Burgess. Um, hey, man, can I ask you a question? Do you worry about metal dust in the washing machine? Um, and he says, I'm loving my Mamasi Fire Arts apron that I got forged to the table, but I'm curious about uh, washing that and shop rags. So he's talking about all the crap that we accumulate on our stuff, then put it in the washing machine. Um, do you guys worry about that at all? I mean, I would definitely be concerned about it. Uh, but if I was going to wash my apron, the first thing I would do, uh, because it's made from the Kevlar, uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty durable stuff. So take your tool, whatever, pens, pencils, markers, rulers, wrenches, whatever you got in your pockets, take all that shit out, and then hose it off, uh, you know, outside. <laughs> hose mm-hmm. out the pocket, especially the lower pockets. Um, they can catch a little bit more dust. Hose those out, and then once you do that, you know, hose off the apron, the front of the apron. So kind of do basically a pre-wash before then throwing it into the washing machine. But honestly, just hosing it off and letting it dry. I wouldn't put it through the dryer. I, I would just let it air dry, and that yeah, that yeah. should honestly be plenty to clean the apron. Hmm. What about just like general, you know, T-shirts, all that kind of stuff? Um, do, you, do you put that in the wash with like your normal clothing? Do you just put it in the laundry basket and it gets mixed in with everything else? Or no, my clothes my clothes usually get clo- uh, washed by themselves. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. that sliver, like metal slivers and stuff, aren't getting transferred over to the kids' clothes or my wife's yeah, clothes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Same here. Makes sense. Jeff, have you got anything there you're itching to ask us? Uh, not really. I, I not really. I've just been <laughs> listening. Um, Fair enough. Cola Cola Forge says, wondering if you got your guys' views on changing your name late in the game. I'm pretty happy with mine, but it doesn't really reflect the work I'm doing, as I'm mainly a sock removal guy. Any input? Cola Forge wants to change. Oof. Thinking about changing his name. 
Oh, I bet he's getting a lot of what? Do you actually forge these? Do you? Yeah. Oh um, Nate Zimmerman's probably in your up in your piece. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, not Nate Zimmerman. Uh, yeah, it's it's got to be difficult just fielding those questions all the time. Um, um, views on changing name late in the game. It's difficult. I mean, if you've made, sort of made a name for yourself and you've got, you know, followers and all the rest of it, and you know, if you're doing most of your work, most of your marketing online, it's going to be quite difficult. I'm afraid. Yeah, but, really. Um, Not in the grand scheme of things. I mean, Greg Sims did it. I mean, he was Kane and Sons for for Kane Sons for a long while, and he swapped over while he had a lot of followers. He made yeah. it happen. I suppose that was a good move to too. Of... By the way, for Greg Sims to change the name of his company. I mean. Andy Wozniak just did that recently too. Yeah, you can. You just the move is is you do it while the getting's good, you know, and and then just work it out. People do that shit all the time. There we go. Then there's the answer. I mean, unless you're Coca Cola. I mean, it's like you know, no one's Coca Cola. (laughs) Yeah, I'm waiting for when uh, Neil. They're going to change to Coca Bolo. There you go. There you go. Put it on your dick. It'll be all right. Get your dick hard either way. (laughs) Ah, there you go. Look at you. I mean, I don't. I wonder when Neil's going to change. I mean, Neil Camamora's got you know he's RPM Neil on Instagram and he's T Camamora and you know is he Mm. ever going to like you know put them all together? You didn't have to. You don't have. That's the other thing. You don't have to. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he's too worried about it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's more difficult for this guy because he's got the word forge in his name right. and he's doing mainly stock removal. Um, yeah, it's going to be difficult, um, but maybe you should. I don't know. If you want to deal with all the people asking you, but you don't even forge, I mean, mm. you know, it's a question of what yeah. you what you're willing to put up with. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. I think with that, uh, we could call it a day. Thank you all for listening and sticking with us. Two hundred and fifty episodes. I know a lot of you have, have even gone back to the you know those first dodgy episodes and listened to them all. So yeah, we really appreciate it. Here's to the next two fifty, I suppose. Um, <laughs> we had these grand plans to me to do something for today. But <laughs> what did the fucking what would Mareko do? Block or unblock? You made me block my sister. True. Uh, true. Sorry, block yeah, my sorry. sister and Nate Zimmerman. <laughs> Jeez, I'm the one who had all the peril here. You did, you did. I feel Nate Zimmerman's getting a, b- a bad rap no, these last few weeks. he's a good guy. He's not. Okay, okay, okay. Well, thank you all for listening. Um, we shall speak to you all again bright and early next Monday. Set your alarms. Bye for now. This show is brought to you by The Makery. There we go. There we go. 250 oh, episodes. 250 i know jeez that was a good burp. and burp we had a, a crash we had a crash in the middle of it which oh. we never do which we never do who'd have thought but uh Marekko, i liked your oh. questions oh good cool were they f- yeah were they focused good. at anybody in particular or no like i said like i said is it's 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 kind of uh, it's just something i've never really externalized a, a to, uh, to other people or to understand how like how they think about continuing to cro- grow and progress as craftspeople and push continuing to push the tools that they're making to be better and better and better. Um, mm-hmm. I know how I do it, but I don't know how other people kind of take that. Into one thing, one thing that does concern me mm. is that I think that knife makers hang out with knife makers too much. And I okay. think that you get there. I think there's a little bit of this insular thought process in regards to how we do things. And what happens is that translates into 
how you're supposed to do business. Yeah, I remember. I remember years ago, a famous knife maker told me, "Oh, you can't do. You can't make any money doing this." And it was because he couldn't make money doing this. And I think <laughs> that there's a lot of times where you get wrapped up with all these guys, and there's this, there's this thing where you're supposed to do things, and maybe broadening your horizons with somebody, you know, different people, might be better for some of these guys. Because I get some fucking messages that are so banana. I didn't even put. I had to not put in a lot of messages just because. Sure. It was like, I you know I didn't I don't need anybody I don't need anybody sending me saying why'd you put that one in me what are you gonna <laughs> so I think that there yeah. needs to be a degree of more of you know broadening your horizons in regards to what you're looking to do instead of just hanging out with you know guys who do what you do. Yeah, maybe take an external. I mean, when we did art um, critiques, I was doing I was doing art critiques with not sculptors; they're painters. And there were people mm. who were doing glass blowing, and it was everything. So then you get this fresh perspective on what you're doing based on just the the process. So it's not like, but at the same time, knife making is so much more craft oriented as opposed to anything else that direction doesn't necessarily matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sort of makes sense, know. and you take an inspiration from other fields, then I suppose I as well. What, what the fuck um, do I know, but, guys? What the fuck do I know? Yeah, I've got glaucoma I've, coming in. I'm getting old. <laughs> My fucking uh, eye doctor. Uh, I'll say it. You guys can keep your fucking jokes. I found my first pair of fucking reading glasses I got yesterday because the eye doctor said you're farsighted. I'm I'm, I'm running around here with fucking reading glasses. Well, well it's just automatic yeah. eye protection. Well, if you're up, I'm shocked at how close. I'm shocked at how long I've gone without these. I'm shocked. Yeah. The font yeah. on the phone is different from what I mean. I'm like, I can't even believe it. So make all your fucking old oh, jokes geez. now. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. You know, we. I had a moment today where um, my wife said to me, and I was, and I've, "I've been waiting for this to come. Been waiting for it to come." And she was like, "I think we should get a Peloton." And I was like, "Oh fuck no!" And I said, "You you got to stop following Jeff." I said, <laughs> "I tell you what, I I'd you can look at my numbers. There's some dude. What'd you say?" I said I would love to get a Peloton. Dude, I got people, I got listeners following me, and they're. You can check on you can you can check on what I'm doing. I'm fucking on there. The only days I'm not on there is when I'm away. That's it. Mm. I'm almost yeah. up to 400 rides. I'm like hauling. Ass. I'm quite. I'm quite thankful that you can't get them in France. Yeah, they um, don't have. I don't with, think they have them. Oh. Yeah, which is amazing for such a like a a global brand like that. You can get them in the UK and you can get them it's in the weird. US, and I think it's weird. Yeah. Only certain territories. There's it's very strange. Germany, the UK, and then mm. I think that there's some people in Australia and Canada. But that's about it. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Look, look. Here's the funny thing about getting older: you can control everything else except for getting older. You mm. know. Yeah. So you can <laughs> might as well the stuff you can control get that shit locked down, which is what I'm trying to do. Everything else sure. is fall, the fucking falling apart. Yeah. The eyeballs. I felt. I felt particularly old this week. My my wife was in London, so I was there here with the three kids. Um, and fuck me, everything needs planning. You know, everything yeah. ready for school in the morning, and like the babies here needs a feed every few hours. So it's like making sure you've got feed lined up and stuff. It's fucking hard work on your own. Really hard work. But uh, yeah, we we survived thankfully. We yeah. we thrived. We didn't just survive. We thrived. We had a good time. You but, did uh, this. You, I, f- I gotta, felt old. I got to give you a lot of credit. You made you made your kids right. Welcome home, mom. Signs. That was a very, very strong move. That's sweet. Did 
did you see what was written on the other side? No. So one was welcome home, mum, and the other was the other one. Uh, so I said, what do you want written on the signs? And Molly was uh, welcome home, mum, we love you kind of thing. And the other one was, where's my present? That's a good <laughs> so, one. That's a good so one. She, so they're standing there in the airport and everybody's looking. They're going, oh, look how cute, how cute. And they get around the front and see the sign and it's just massive letters. Where is my present? That's funny. And, yeah. like, <laughs> and you fed them chocolate. I did. Including the I baby. Did. It was more of a joke with the baby. I sort of spread it around oh, his lips. But he, he is actually eating. The, the, the last couple of weeks, he started eating sort of solid food. Oh, wow. Um, which is fun in the, uh, in, when, the, when it comes to changing time. But, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I wouldn't call it fun. No. <laughs> it just no, but smells so much worse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. But, uh, but he's, you know, he's standing now and holding his weight. And, you oh, know, cool. he's ready to take steps and stuff. And it's, he is just huge. He, like... There's another family here um, in the village where the kids go to the same school as ours, and we see them on the gate every day. Um, but she had a baby the same time as my wife, the the, 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 the lady of the family there. Um, and the difference in the size, you know, theirs looks like a baby still. It's it's tiny, it's this little thing. And we've got this fucking monster of a bear. <laughs> you know, it's it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. He's huge. His sisters um, are his yeah. sisters are screwed. He's gonna he's gonna get bigger and he's gonna beat the brakes off of, oh, both of them. Oh yes, yeah. Already, he's like, he's got this little walker thing on wheels, you know. So he's he's, he's going around the house, and he's following them, and he's trying to reach for their stuff, and they're they're like, oh, he's got my stuff again, and uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's quite funny to see them all playing together. I enjoy it. Yeah, so nice. let's go back to the queen. What's going to happen for? The, isn't there like twelve days of you know mourning or something like that? What's going to happen? Um, but they haven't actually set a funeral date yet. Um. So yeah, we're not quite sure, but um, it, it's funny to see like companies' reaction to this. Like even Apple dot com on the main Apple dot com, you know, the front page just you know two days after announcing the new iPhone, um, they've got this big you know um, tribute to the Queen, you know, and it's just, it's it's crazy. And the amount of companies who have said they are, they you know they're not doing business this week. Um, that that you know it's my wife and I were talking about. It, it's like is I don't know. You're trying to show, pay your respects, but does that really do anything? Um, but I mean, yeah, it's a weird I was one. hearing on the news that they're like not going to coronate uh, Charles because out of because it's distasteful. They're not going to coronate him for like almost a year. Uh, no, I don't know. Maybe, but um, automatically he's already king. The, the second she she passes, he is king. Um, so you know, the formal ceremony of it really doesn't make too much of a difference. Um, but it, surprisingly, so there's always been this thing about whether he will actually become king or whether he'll just step away and it goes straight to William because William yeah. is there's, is younger and he's more um, robust. The whole thing with Charles and Diana, that there, there's a big sort of feeling that a lot of people don't sort of respect him so much and so on, and they thought it'd be better for the you know the royal family if it went straight to William because he's more current with you know with you know the younger people and all the rest of it, more up with you know. There's no that kind of way thing. Charles is There's no side. way because he made his speech today and he said, you know, I'll serve yeah. until I die, basically. He's actually said that in his speech, oh, you know, um, which, which was a bit of a surprise. But, I mean, he's, you know, as, <laughs> there's obviously the, the, the big elephant in the room, you know, about Diana and his affair and all that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, he's a, he's a massive advocate for the environment and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's, you know, at a time when that's needed, you know, he's the, probably the right person for the job. So, 
yeah, it, it yeah, it's it it is crazy how much it sort of rocked rocked everything really. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is. Mad. It is totally yeah. crazy. It's 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 fascinating as an American because I mean, obviously, I remember I remember when the royal wedding between Charles and Diana, and I remember Tom Brokaw mm. saying. In the middle, I remember hearing a, a re hearing something. He was just like, "Yeah, we Americans, we don't know what the hell this is going on with the, the kings and queens and stuff. This makes no sense to us whatsoever." <laughs> but uh, you know, it is it is you know the queen's been part of popular society for longer yeah. than almost any other leader. I mean, what other leader yeah, well, can you think of who's been around since like Eisenhower? I mean, yeah, it's crazy. she's the longest serving British monarch. Um, but she's almost the she's the lo- longest serving leader of a country. You can't think of another leader yeah. of a country who's lasted as long as she has. Even Kim Jong Kim Jong Soon or whatever the, the I dad's guess some name. of them when they're like when they're kids they they sort of get become kings and stuff. Some of them don't they? So I'm not quite sure. But the the royalty in England is it or Britain is it like. Are they just figureheads, or is there, are they actually involved in the government and policy choices and stuff like they that? Can, or is it more they can. They It's more ceremonial, but they can suspend parliament. Um, huh. And there are times when the prime the, the prime minister does need to meet with the queen, and or, or will will now be the king, um, on a weekly basis, and explain what they're doing and what's going on. Um, how much input the the monarch the monarch will have on that, I don't know. Um, right. But you know the monarch needs to swear in the you know the, the prime minister, which which just happened this week, the day before she passed. She was working; she was swearing in the the new prime minister that we've got. Um, so yeah, I think most of it is ceremonial, and there's the whole sort of tourist thing with that as well. Um, but yeah, I'm not quite sure how much they can sway um, law. An order as 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 much as they used to at least anyway. But yeah. if you think about what Princess Diana did as just like a a popular culture person, exactly, exactly, it's and that and that's ma- I mean, amazing what she did for landmines and you know all that stuff. She was yeah. a pretty, she was a pretty imp- of, of a huge figure. I mean, that's the reason why it was such a devastating thing. All of it. Yeah. She wasn't just and a as, pretty as, face. As, as much as some people say, um, you know, we don't need the monarchy and they should be abolished and all the rest of it. But then you just look at, you know, just, you know, the whole, you know, Harry and Meghan, him deciding he didn't want to be part of the, you know, the royal family, he didn't want it to be his job. And, that you know, and, it, you know, the the press in the UK um, with Meghan, they've painted her to be this, this complete and utter witch, you know, and it's a witch hunt every single day, you know, every day they're, they're trying to paint her out to be this, nice. this terrible person. And it's like... That they are, you know, popular culture. They do sway things. So whether you know, as much as they they, they may not have that um, in Parliament, um, they certainly do have it on popular culture. And they're, you know, they're and, and I think, yeah. yeah, and I think Brit- Britain's <laughs> image around the world as well. You know, yeah. and this 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 whole thing of of tradition. And, and you know, some of these traditions are archaic, and you know, the, the, you know what actually happened with you know how the Commonwealth and all the rest of it. Some of it's terrible, but there are certain things of tradition which I think, which I think are a value, and a lot of that is, you know, uh, the morals and the, this whole you know the British stiff stiff upper lip. You know, it's there's there's certainly some good parts to that, and I think a lot of it is is just identity for the UK as well, which which they. You know they've been losing over you know over the last you know so many decades. And is it true that they're going to recirculate the money? They're going to take her. They're going to take out. They're going to 
Oh yeah, oh yeah, they'll do that. They'll do that immediately. Uh, so they they won't take out the old money. That that well, will just pass. But now, but now the mint who, who press the money, um, they'll be pressing money with with Charles's face. So then on. they're yeah. just going to circulate out the prince with with the queen on it. And yeah. What do they so do with I mean, that fucking money. Well, everything has a, a limited shelf life, doesn't it? A limited, you know, and what happens to the the mint? The mint is actually in Wales as well, the Royal Mint, which is where they, they make the money and they print the money and they, they stamp the coins, that, that kind of thing. Your, your, your fucking record company. The Royal the Mint. The Royal Mint. <laughs> oh, my God. No, but I th- think well, what they'll do now. Fucking, like a, a giant candy, the Royal Mint. Yeah. <laughs> what they will do now is they will start printing money with... Um, with with Charles's um, face on, obviously, um, and you know even things like you know not that people use them postage stamps. They always had you know the the, the monarch's head on, so that will now be now be Charles and um, yeah. There, there, there's all things you know little things like um, we have QCs who are sort of barristers, and they would always that's the Queen's consort. So now they'll be the King's consort. So there's this whole sort of language thing, and you know we we see you know. The, the the song that everybody knows is God Save the How Queen. How does that song go? Well, God Save... I'm not saying God okay. Save the Queen. Now you have to say God Save the King? Is it... Is it oh. It'll be now God Save the King, and, it, you know, it'll be His Majesty, and whereas I've always known, you know, Her Majesty, you know, all, all my life. So it, it's like a weird change of language as well. It, it's it's, yeah, it's a it's, giant it's really cultural... Strange. and It's a cultural change that's no one's tr- truly prepared for, even though she's 96. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's really strange. It's really strange. It's strange. But, it's bizarre. Yeah, ninety six. She's been in power for what seventy years. That's yeah, crazy. It's yes, crazy. Yeah, yeah. It is a whole madness. Her, this one person's life has been yeah. like part of everyone's. You know, I get that we get the uh, the uh, English food every so often for the our food from the UK, and there's a little stamp with uh, Her Majesty's. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Well, the, I mean. Yeah, there's there's the, the whole thing of um, lots of brands are sort of endorsed by by what would have been the queen uh, will now be the king, and um, I mean Charles himself had a had a sort of a, uh, a food brand um, called Dutchy Originals. What the fuck? Um, what kind of what is it? It sounds like something you like. Well, make they did like bis- that's what you biscuits go to the, and sausages. No, and stuff. Seriously, no, seriously, it sounds like seriously. It sounds like you go to the the, the gas station. Some of our listeners are going to understand this, and we're going to roll a blunt. You get me some of them Dutchy Originals. You know, you gotta yeah. get some of them little packets of <laughs> cigars. Pass right the Dutchy on the left hand yeah, side. Swish your sweets. Yeah. Give me some of them Dutchy originals. Give me those Prince Charles Dutchy originals. Fuck out yeah. of here. Um, Purple so, flavor. Yeah, I only so, get some grape flavor. <laughs> but he did announce that the Duchy of Cornwall, which was his title, has now gone to William, the, the oldest son. Um, so he's inherited a biscuit factory. <laughs> you know, oh, with, I suppose. Sake. But um, but can you imagine being like? bread knowing from birth that one day you're going to be king you know it's crazy isn't it this the speech he did it was as if he had been practicing it his whole life yeah well you, you would have surely you would have been and he, you know it's weird that he calls one his day mom, this will all be mine his mom mama mama yeah. and papa mama and papa that's yeah. weird yeah mama and papa can you yeah. i just last thing is but you were talking about how the the queen i know everyone's just like is this show over or what the, the, there's <laughs> one part where you were saying that the queen meets with the with the prime minister every week can yes. you imagine when boris yeltsin boris johnson with that fucking head comes in 
And that slob <laughs> walks in and he goes, oh, your majesty. And then she leaves. <laughs> He's dribbling all over <laughs> the place. He's head, head of hair of his. He looks like a mup with a head of hair of his. Yeah. And he's saying some slur, some some sort of slurring yeah. words. And she looks like just a, such a slob. And he walks away. You know she turns to her dudes and be like, what a slob. Yeah. Oh, I, what I, a slob. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could see by oh. the face that the whole family oh. weren't uh... – in, in yeah. yeah, I've been here. Right. I've been doing this for seventy years, and this is what I have to fucking look at. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> oh, and with God that, we've been king. doing this for two hundred and fifty episodes, which feels like seventy years, but not quite. Thank you again for listening. Uh, God save the king. Bye for now. This show is brought to you by the Makery, the podcast network for makers. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hero.co